So um, I'm the only girl uh, out of six brothers, and I'm kind of like in the middle of all of them. I'm 34 years old, and um, I don't have any kids, so I've traveled a lot, and I've seen a lot of different things over my short uh, life. (laughs) All right, good deal. So so, uh, only girl of six brothers, that explains uh, cop, military, and all that kind of stuff. So so just wondering how you get get there. Uh, But also, I just want to take the opportunity to thank you for your service. Guys, if you haven't already shared the stream, Please share the stream, but I want to thank you for your service, man, because it's because people like you, I'm able to do what I do in this land of capitalism and democracy, I have the freedom to be an entrepreneur. But we're going to dive right into this book, guys, and I'm going to read an excerpt of this book before I start peppering uh, Ms. Gates with questions. It says, I need a healing for my soul, and maybe you need one too. I wrote this book to help me heal from multiple traumatic incidents which took place in my life over the years. This is for me, for you, and for every person who wants to give up but knows they can't. There are a lot of broken people on the inside who try to mask their brokenness with makeup, hair weave, red bottom shoes, false eyelashes, cosmetic surgery to different parts of their bodies, designer purses, vehicles, designer watches and tennis shoes, clothes, electronics, and even use relationships, lovers, to mask the pain inside of facing instead of facing it so let's talk a little bit about i don't know how deep you want to go but how let's talk about a couple of those traumatic experiences that led you to go down this path for self-healing and then you ultimately said you know what i've used these these 10 things that helped me along my journey perhaps i should put it in a book and that could help somebody else Okay, well, what led me to actually writing my book was the explosion that I went through in Afghanistan during my tour in 2014. Um, Mm -hmm. When you are away from home, you're away from everything you know, you're away from your comfort zone, you have a lot of time to think, you have a lot Mm -hmm. of time to reflect, and a lot of things that you didn't deal with will come to surface because it's just the dynamic of you have nobody around and you have no distractions. Like every day, you're your daily routine is the same when you're on deployment. So your biggest job and focus is to stay alive, you know, so that you can come home. So basically it's, you know, to go home safe every day back to your rack. And, um, and as well as your people that you're over when you're on deployment and then, you know, depression, you battle depression off and on a lot when you're on deployment. If you don't have a good uh, battle buddy and a good unit, that you're working with, you know, you just, your stress level is just on a thousand because you're operating at a level that is not normal. You're always Mm -hmm. on heightened alert. You're always, you know, situational awareness. You never really get to digress. Like here at home in the States, most of the time, once you get off work, you leave work at work. And when you come home, it's like, okay, I'm why not digress. You don't get to drink on deployment. You don't get to leave, you know, and go anywhere off the compound. So you are confined to a small amount of space. You're dealing with the same people every day. You're working seven days a week. You're on a different time zone. And you're in a culture that is completely the opposite of everything you know and Mm -hmm. how you were raised. You know, for me, being a female in a Middle Eastern culture where I'm not considered a human being, I'm considered property. They don't look at me as a career woman. They don't look at me as someone to take seriously or even to take a directive from. So, you know, you have to adjust a lot of everything. 
and it's just basically becoming a whole nother person. So um, going through the explosion, which happened about 50 feet from where I was standing watch, it was a very traumatizing experience. We trained for that particular day for in the event that it happened. But even when you train, nothing really prepares you for actually going through an explosion blowing up, you know, that close to you and the shock that it puts you through, the emotions that make that run high after the fact. And then still you have to, you know, be able to function to do your job at the time. And then you have to deal with the aftermath and process everything that happened. So with that, that is what led me to writing my book. And in doing that and writing my book, I had to go back and face all of the pain that I buried from having an absentee father. I was mm -hmm. raised by my stepfather, but I always had a void because my birth father was never, you know, in my life and never wanted to be in my life. He was not a consistent, you know, individual um, for me. And it, it always had a negative effect on me. So then you compound that I was molested by my dad's sister's son, my first cousin, when I was about seven or eight um, mm -hmm. at my grandmother's house. So, you know, you start, everything just kind of comes to a head at one time. And mm -hmm. writing and reading has always been very therapeutic for me. So I just began to write and just write all my feelings, write my emotions, write my frustrations, write about my pain, everything. And that's how my book actually came to fruition. It wasn't something I set out to do. It wasn't something I planned on doing, but it was something that was a byproduct of a way that I used to cope with what I was dealing with to the best of my ability because I didn't have my mom. I didn't have my dad. I didn't have my friends. I was in the middle of nowhere over in the sandbox, way on the other part you know, of the world. So coming home, I had to go through therapy. I had to go through counseling. Um, I wasn't sleeping. After I went through the explosion, I was up about five days straight. Wow. And then by default, my body would crash and I would sleep. And then I would be up again for five days straight, roughly four to five days. And just my body, my stress level, everything, I just, I wasn't myself. I had very little patience. I was very snappy. And then to top it all off, while I was over there, I'm watching CNN and looking at Ferguson. So I'm looking at this is what I'm coming home to. I'm in a combat zone. I'm in a war zone. I just went through an explosion and it looks like a war zone in my own home where I'm going. My friends that I left that are police officers that was here working. It was just like all of that combined was a whole lot to process. And I tell anybody that, you know, <clears throat> through those experiences, through the explosion, I said I, I was able to see very clearly how people end up turning to suicide, how people start turning to drugs or turn into alcohol and try to self-medicate. They want to bury the pain. They don't want to feel it because they, they're not ready to deal with it. They're not mm -hmm. ready to face their truth. And that was my truth. You know, who am I supposed to be after going through what I went through? Who am I supposed to be after experiencing such a traumatic experience and such pain that I didn't even know where to begin the process, what had happened to me? Mm -hmm. I, I didn't even tell my mom. My mom didn't learn about it till I wrote my book. So, mm -hmm. you know, I understand the uh how you know and i'm a female and most females are pretty um i guess it's easier in my opinion for females to express themselves and talk about things you know than it is for guys so you know you have the armed services mostly men so you have a lot of men who who bury and self-medicate and at some point the closet is going to bust open and if there is no way for them to figure out how to address what's been holding them down 
that's why the you know divorce rate and the problems are so high with military families as well as police officers because they're one and the same when it comes to the stress level, when it comes to the stuff that we see, that we deal with on calls, that we deal with on the scene, and that we have to figure out ways to compartmentalize all of that negative stuff that we deal with. So um, <clears throat> by me opening up and talking about it, um, I know that child molestation is very high in the African-American community. It's about yeah. one in every four are victims of child molestation. Yeah. So I was just hoping, and the reason I ended up, uh, you know, after I wrote it, my intent and my goal was for young women not to feel uh, ashamed about it and not to take ownership of someone else's choices and someone else's wrongdoing and blame themselves or take on the pain that was caused by something someone else did because their motives, you know, and stuff wasn't right. And uh, based on the reviews that I've gotten back thus far about my book, my book has set out what I intended it for do to let people know, hey, you don't have to keep carrying the burden. You don't have to keep holding on to the pain. You can start over and you can overcome it. It's a one day at a time situation. And each day that you wake up, you have to look at each day you have as a fresh start and a clean slate to do wonderful things, to do whatever it is you set your mind to do. Because at the end of the day, you did wake up and what happened yesterday is in yesterday. You can't change that, but you can change your future and the direction that you want to go. And I'm a living witness to that. You know, nobody will look at me and ever think that that was my story. Exactly. What what a powerful story it is. Uh, I, I don't know if you've ever got a chance to hear my testimony, but I deal with child molestation myself. Uh, and as a man, you, you're right. It doesn't. It, it's not as easy for us to talk about it. And it actually led me to a, a bout of depression. I, I spent a uh, time in a mental institution uh, trying to get my mind right. But but here's the question. You you said a lot of heavy stuff that we got to touch on. Uh, number one. You went through that kind of trauma in service, uh, and yet you came home and decided you're going to be a cop, right? I'm wondering what is that? Just some some something that's in you to serve in that capacity, uh, in that kind of environment. It seems almost to me that you would have said, "Okay, that was enough. I don't want to put myself in the position where I would be dealing with traumatic situations like that, or the potential." to be in traumatic situations like that all the time. So what was the thought process when you decided to uh, go through the academy and go ahead and become a, a, a police officer? Well, I became a police officer before I went to boot camp. So okay. I, I got commissioned, uh, I graduated May 20th of 2010 mm -hmm. as a police officer. So I was already a police officer before I went on my tour to Afghanistan. Okay. And yet I don't know where I get it from as far as, you know, that drive or bug to be a public servant and to want to help people but it's always been in me and that's what i've always wanted to do so um the thing that i i knew for me i just had to go to therapy and counseling in order to be able to have the patience to face and deal with what was taking place at home because back home is where i was returning to and this is where i live and they had really great program in the navy I stayed three months in Norfolk, Virginia, and went to see every specialist they had, and I went through like a one-week therapy uh, class mm -hmm. to address and talk about different things. And uh, the, the the cool thing that I learned from my counseling was that uh, you don't have to serve in a combat zone to suffer from PTSD. You mm -hmm. don't even have to be in the military to mm -hmm. suffer from PTSD. 
All you have to do is go through a very traumatic experience. A traumatic experience can be, you know, losing the life of your child or a loved one unexpectedly or a parent unexpectedly. You know, that grief that hits you, which comes, you know, associated very closely with depression, your inability to process that in a way where you are, I guess, more or less in control of, you know, your mind and your ability to function at your uh, potential capacity. That's what, that's what, you know, it causes just uh-uh, normal. You start talking about PTSD. So I think the, the, the best thing about it is when you understand the triggers, the cause and effect and how you got there, it makes it easier for you to admit that, hey, I need to get some help and to want to take the steps toward addressing it. Um, but when, if a person is in denial about it, it's, it's a lot tougher for them to do. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about you. You said that that the absent father, even though it sounds like you, you had a good man uh, and, and your stepfather who stepped in and raised you, but you still were dealing with the effects of your biological father not wanting anything to do with you. And and I'm experiencing that right now with my son. I raised my my oldest son, who's who's we don't call him stepson, but he's he's my stepson from age four until now, and all of a sudden he's kind of turned his back on us. And I know I keep telling my wife he needs help in the sense that he's taking out on me what his father didn't do, his biological father didn't do. So talk a little bit about how you could have a man raising you as his child and still feel ill feelings towards or feel neglected by the man who was missing and how that led to uh, some early trauma in your life? Well, for me, like the void of it being there because that's your DNA. When you Mm -hmm. don't know, so that's a connection that you're missing, knowing about like your family history. You don't have the uh, relationship with your birth parent. Um, You also don't understand why a person would create you and give you life and then reject you and not want to have anything to do with you. And I can say for me, that's part of why I don't have kids. I have a terrible fear of bringing a child into this world and that child going through what my father put me through, you know, which telling people, you're going to come by and you're going to get me this weekend and you get me all excited. And then, you know, show, you don't show up, right. you don't call, you disappear. I don't hear from you for whatever, six months, however long it was. And it's just like that constant inconsistency. And um, that takes place with that, the emotional wear and tear, it takes your self-esteem takes a, um, takes a beating. So the need for validation or the need for acceptance is because that's a part of where you come from. You know, the only good thing yeah. I can say about my biological dad is if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be here. That's it. You know, that's wow. a hard truth to accept that, yeah. you know, that's that the only thing good I can hold on to from the person who gave me life is that if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be here. Right. You know, I don't even know what like things I get from my dad from a genetic standpoint. I know everything I know that was instilled in me and my mannerisms are how I do certain things. That was all instilled in me by my stepdad. So at the same time, although I didn't go without having the two parent home 
and I've had um, I had the positive role models. And I had the influence. That's just a void. Everybody has that void, and they have to find peace with that situation and to be able to accept the situation, whatever it may be, for what it is. And sometimes when the wounds are too deep, you know, there is no going back to try to make restitution where you can actually have a relationship with that person. The best decision you have is you forgive them and you move on and, and you let it stay in the past. Although they're still alive, you you accept what your life has become and the person and the people that uh, the contributing factor was. And that's what keeps you going and that's where you find how to share what you went through because some, it takes some people longer than others. We all are good at suppression, dodge, deflection, and not dealing with our truth because it's easier to blame somebody else. It's easier to point the finger and it's easier to, you know, suppress what we really feel. And the thing that I've learned, writing helps me express how I really feel. And I don't have to worry about nobody judging me about it. I don't have to worry about you know, if somebody get it, when I released it, I'm like, well, how could you share that with the world? I said, because I re- that's where my connection and my professions come from, truly wanting to be able to help people. Because we don't, in Black families, seek counseling. We don't seek help. It's taboo or whatever. Right. We're always told. Uh-oh. So it looks like our, our connection is getting a little weak, Brandy. Uh, but but I, let me just jump in here for a second and see if we can get her connection to 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 uh, reset. What what she's talking about is very very real. Um, I experienced that. You know, I suppressed my my emotional uh, pain for years, and it ultimately led to me imploding because that's the type of person I am. And thank God I'm that type of person because some people are the type of people who explode. So you can suppress something long enough to where it it can cause you to implode or it can cause you to explode. And exploding means you could have went and hurt a whole lot of other people uh, at the same time. So let's see if Brandy uh, looks like you kind of froze up just a little bit. Um, Let's see. It looks like she's trying to move around to get a better connection. Uh, but yeah, I actually imploded, man, and really wanted to do harm uh, to myself. I, you know, I just wanted to, to crawl into a ball and die myself, uh, versus exploding and going to shoot up a school or something like that. But that, those are the kinds of thoughts that can go through someone's head from years of suppressing pain instead of releasing it. So thank goodness you found an outlet and, and talk a little, uh, a little bit about why yeah, you mentioned it being taboo, but why. We as black people won't seek help. We, we don't see mental illness as real illnesses for whatever reason. So uh, let's see. Can we give me a mic check, see if you're back on. Hey. Okay. Hey. Yes. Okay. So talk real quickly about why you think we don't seek the help. Even, even people who come through... I know when when you think about post-traumatic stress syndrome, everybody's trauma is different at different levels, right? So we can't judge whether or not that's traumatic to somebody else. It might not be traumatic to me, but it might very well be traumatic to you. But even those who are coming from military situations, even police officers who see this death and destruction all the time, why is it that we, we won't go seek help or even look at mental illness as a real illness? 
I think it just comes um, two things. I think number one, we all have an issue or a hard time talking to a complete stranger that um, we don't know. We like to, we prefer to talk to someone that we that we trust and that we know. So talking to a complete stranger for um for some, especially law enforcement, is hard because you know we're already very skeptical. We pretty much approach our people from a skeptical you know standpoint or an untrusting standpoint. Um, and number two that you know being vulnerable it's very hard for people to be vulnerable it doesn't even matter what your professional background is when you um, meet a new person if you're trying to you know meet the special person that you can marry and spend the rest of your life with just opening up and being vulnerable means you have to be very comfortable in your skin and accept your flaws and it's hard for people to be comfortable with their flaws and accept their flaws because they are again worried about uh, seeking validation and the approval of other people and worried about what they're going to think or what they're going to say versus it's all definitive based on how you feel about you and with those flaws and with those mistakes and with all that stuff who do you still see yourself as even with all of that who do you want to be even having all of that and does someone else's opinion or evaluation or um uh perception of you matter that much more than what you think of you and a lot of times we do allow that to outweigh what we think and feel about ourselves because if we know that we're not perfect and we know that we always have room for improvement then we have to look at it and approach it from the position that uh my life my testimony is my strength because that is what's going to help me grow and it's going to help someone else grow that's what we call the shortcuts in life when somebody shares their story and someone else is able to learn from your story, then God gets the glory for that because that's why he allows us to go through the storms and the things and the struggles that we go through because it becomes a ministry for us to bless somebody and be a blessing. That's what that means. So had I not ever opened up and talked about what happened to me, then it wouldn't be a lot of people who would be able to apply the team guidelines for a first start because at the end of the day, we've all gone through something that we really wish we could just get a fresh start from, whether it was our fault, whether it was not our fault. But, you know, when we go through things that make us battle really strongly in our mind and it weighs us down and it causes us to, you know, hit depression and go into places we never thought we could go mentally, physically, and spiritually, it's a, it's a real struggle. You have to, you know, equip yourself and be prepared for, you know, they say prepare for uh, the worst, but hope for the best. Because when it hits you, it hits you like a ton of bricks. And, it goes very fast. You know, there is no uh, handbook or manual as to how your suffering will come, how long your storm will be, or the path that is designed for you to take to learn, you know, so God can continue to make you grow into the person that he wants you to be. Exactly. And, and I, 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 I've often said you, you touched on the perspective, the perception of others. And for, for years, I spent the first 26, 27 years of my life trying to convince the world that I really was who I was pretending to be. And it wasn't until I went through that experience where I realized that, you know what, I am who I am and I have to fall uh, completely in love with that person and live my life from there. And it wasn't until that point where everything for me began to, to change. Uh, talk about the role that faith plays in your healing. Uh, because you, you mentioned God a few times and then I, I know that uh, in the book where you give your 10 uh, guiding principles to getting a fresh start. They're all scriptural based. So talk about how 
spirituality and your faith uh, help you to heal. Okay. Okay. I can still hear you a little bit. I see. Okay. I didn't start talking. I was because it kind of froze, so I didn't know if you could hear me. Yeah, go ahead. So I was trying to, I was asking if you could, uh, let's see. All right, she My popped off. My faith allows me to know and brings me comfort. Mm -hmm. Oh, ahead. okay, yeah. So my faith brings me comfort in situations that I have, I don't have control over the outcome. Or, you know, I have control over me. I have control over how I react to a situation, the choices that I make that should, that I'm supposed to try to make to be the best choices for me. But I don't have control over the outcome. I don't have control over how another person is going to treat me or their motives of trying to attack me and slander me and do all these different things. So with understanding, knowing that God only created one of me, he created me for a specific purpose. He gave me specific gifts. He gave me the uh, opportunity to maximize and utilize the gifts that he gave me. So. What I've learned through my faith is when you are going through a storm or you're being tested and you're going through a trial, you have to keep your focus on your faith, which is tied to what your gifts are and what your God-given purpose is, why you're here. And when you keep your, when you're able to keep your focus on your purpose based on your vision, your faith and what God gave you, it allows you to grow and to soar in a way that you can't explain People just have to sit back and enjoy the ride because you know that it couldn't have been anything but God. Because in my flesh, I want to fight the person that slammed right. me. I want to go back and hurt the person that hurt me. I want to give you a piece of my mind and say, you know what? I understand as a Christian, I'm supposed to be the bigger person. I'm supposed to forgive you. I'm supposed to pray for you. But in actuality, I want to I want to punch you in your face because right. nowhere does any human being want someone to attack them especially behind their back, you know, at least have the decency to say it to my face, but you right. know, that's not what's going to happen. And so it's, uh, it's kind of like the song that the OJs say, one of my favorite songs, you know, that's that was they smile in your face all the time. Want to take your place. So kind of goes back to when you talk about millionaire, billionaire mindset, when you understand that what the objective of the enemy is, then you have to program your mindset to say, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. I must be doing what I'm supposed to do because if I wasn't, then I wouldn't be facing this opposition. I wouldn't be facing this storm. I wouldn't be facing this test. And the whole purpose of that is to distract you of utilizing your gifts to the, its maximum full potential. And when you, the more you tap into your faith and the closer you walk with God, the more you're able to soar and go full force walking in your purpose to use, allow God to use you to bless other people, to help other people, to help them grow, to help them overcome the adversity. So that's what my book talks about. And talking about my story is it's going to help you overcome some kind of adversity in your life. Because as long as you live in, you're going to go through some things. Yes. And some things and some tests may be easier to pass than others, but you feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders and then you just can't, you can't carry it. I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it, God. I'm just going to throw in the towel. So you know, that's where you get the encouragement of other people who are like-minded. When you ask somebody to pray for you, you're usually going to ask somebody that you know 
is of a like mind and has like passion and understand that they've been through something. So they know they don't have to know what you're going through, but they know how to pray and ask God to give you the strength, the courage, the determination and the perseverance to stand in the storm and plant your roots and don't move. And it's hard for us to be still because we like to think that we are in control of everything, but we're really not in control, just of the choices that we make and how we react to situations. And we, nobody likes that thorn in their side. Nobody likes to feel that thing. We hate the process, but we love the end result. Right. I love it. I love it. So guys, this is through my eyes, Brandy Gates, man. I'm telling you, this will bless your spirit. I'm telling you, it will bless your spirit. So tell people really quickly how they can get it, how they can connect with you. Give them all your contact information. I love the t-shirt, by the way. I've got to get me a couple. Um, <laughs> tell them how they can grab the t-shirts and everything that you've got going on, how they can connect with you. Okay, so you can connect with me. Um, if you want to purchase a copy of my book, you can purchase it on Amazon um, or you can purchase it directly through me. I have a Facebook page for my book called Through My Eyes Book Page. You can, the link to my book to purchase it directly from me is on my Facebook page, as well as I will be able to personally autograph your book um, if you buy it directly through me. I also have a package deal if you want to buy one of my positive affirmation t shirts. You can purchase a t shirt as well as the book together for $40, which includes your shipping. The price will be $50. So you're going to save $10 for the bundle package if you want to purchase both together. And you can inbox me on Facebook or you can contact me on my cell phone, which is area code 318-512-7149. Again, that's 318-512-7149. My Facebook page is Through My Eyes book page. Has my lovely picture on the front with my book cover. Awesome. It looks like she froze up one more time, guys. But... Through My Eyes book page is where you can go and connect with Brandy. Uh, it starts there, and then you can get connected with her everywhere else from there. Uh, but bundle package, T-shirt, and book together, uh, give her a call, 318-512-7149. And, uh, again, 318-512-7149 uh, so that you can get everything that you need. Uh, the book, Positive Affirmation T-shirt. Randy, it was an honor, privilege, and a pleasure to have you on the show this morning. Really Thank you for having me on the show, Cortez. Thank you for joining us, man. That story is amazing, guys. You got to see this. You got to get this, man. Because then, then, after she gives you a story, she gives you some killer poetry, too. She, she, when she, she writes, she writes, right? She gives you killer poetry, but also she gives you 10 guidelines for a fresh start. So you definitely want to grab your copy of Uh And I say get it directly from her. Uh, Amazon is cool, but go directly to the source and get your book and get your copy autographed, right? Yeah, I got my copy autographed. Get your copy autographed. So with that, Brandy, I appreciate you for uh, tuning, uh, for joining us. Uh, and I will let you a little bit later. Any last words? Um, my last words is this. That your pain will help you direct you to find your purpose. So embrace your pain. Don't run from it. Embrace your truth. It makes you who, the person who you are today. And know that 
Nothing happens by accident, but by divine design. And once you find your purpose, take your purpose and your skill set and turn it into a profitable, you know, business for yourself, for your family to start building generational wealth and leave a legacy for your children, your children's children, and your great, great grandchildren. Awesome. Awesome. So that is the lovely Brandy Davis. Guys, go out and cop the book and then put in the comments that you want to grab a copy. Can I get those in the comments who are committed to grab the book, a t-shirt, and or both? Thanks a lot, Brandy. All right. So that was Brandy Gates. Man, uh, powerful, powerful. Who goes through a an explosion less than 50 feet away uh i know for a fact i would be thinking constantly that i almost just died right it will definitely bring a lot of things into perspective it will definitely um change your life and have you thinking about some things so so intensely and then i believe that was some of the stuff that led to her saying wait a minute let me go back and all of this stuff in my life let me go back and address all of this stuff too because i almost just died so now that i'm here and i'm going to live i'm not going to live and continue to carry the burden and the weight of all of that i'm going to get rid of all of this stuff and uh again we got to thank her for our service so monica lamb says she's going to purchase uh, purchase directly through bethany she's in the stream now uh so that brings us to our next uh author for today man a uh, good good friend of mine um you know, uh, another kindred spirit in the sense that I've gone through some some things in their lives and you know what, are good uh, on the other side of some of the things that uh, this young lady has gone through. So uh, I'm not going to delay and run my trap any uh, longer. I'm going to go ahead and uh, let's introduce our next guest. Again, a good friend, a radio personality, TV show uh, host, uh, Look up red carpet, man. You can find this young lady on almost any red carpet all over the country. There's no telling where she would be uh, a pillar in our community for bringing positive information uh, and bringing uh, people together to to really, really move the agenda forward by way of, of creating an environment that our babies can grow up safe and creating a safe haven for uh, us as adults to continue to uh, walk and grow in our development. So. Without further ado, I want to introduce to some and present to others, Miss Renee, Lady Ray J. Johnson. Let me get you on. All right, young lady. Welcome to the show this morning. Uh, thanks for getting up early and coming to hang out with us. Give me a mic check really quick. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I can hear you loud and clear. Let me turn the volume up so YouTube can get you on as well. Lady Ray J, you also have a very interesting story that we're going to get into, uh, uh, you know, things that you have to overcome to be who you are uh, in life today. But tell us a little bit about who you are, first and foremost, your background, and how did you end up getting your story in pretty in his presence, right? Right. Okay. So good morning, faces. And how are you? I'm so glad that you guys joined, especially the ones that I have invited. Thank you so much. Um, I am, well, kind of situation. I have three older brothers. They're 
half-brothers of mine. My mom adopted my dad's sons after they met, and their mother abandoned them. And so she took on three boys, brand new wife, and adopted three boys. Then my mom and dad had me and my brother. So I'm the only girl, and I have four other siblings. Um, I was in the United States Air Force for a brief time, and I was on full active duty, got hurt, came home on an honorable discharge, and decided to go into nursing. So as I was in nursing and working with patients as a registered nursing student, I was doing a lot of counseling, uh, talking with them, patient advocacy, which was not my job, okay? I was supposed to be taking care of them in other ways, you know, vitals, bedpan, passing meds, but I'm counseling. So my nursing instructor told me she thought that I needed to go into counseling, even though I was a great nursing student. So I have a bachelor's in psychology from St. Louis University, and uh, career development was one of my specialties, along with having science, which I love science. So mm -hmm. I went on into counseling and have my master's of education degree from University of Missouri St. Louis in behavioral studies, which is now known as community counseling. Right. Uh, I've worked with gang-ridden areas. I've had to go into the various school districts. I had a lot of the public schools in the inner city. Uh, I worked with parents in neighborhoods. At that time, they called the students at risk. I mm -hmm. called them college bound. So I would not tell the students that you're an at risk student. I told them that you are a college bound student. Mm -hmm. And through my program, you will learn how to do what you need to do to get to college. Um, after that, I went into social services, and I think that that was the most impactful for this reason. I started working years later with individuals who were domestically abused. So I was in the women's shelters working with those women that had been abused, teaching them job skills, helping them to gain their independence and to be self-sufficient. Little did I know that I was being prepared to be my own advocate as I became a victim of domestic violence. Wow, all right, so before we go there, let me, let me read something from, from the, uh, this book. So uh, for those of you who don't know, I just, again, thank you for your service as well, uh, uh, Ray J. Uh, I don't know if you guys get it, man. Uh, you can say what you want about this country, but we have some wonderful service of men and women who do what they do, which allows us the freedom to do what we do. So you always have to keep that in mind. But I want to read a, a portion of your story, and then I want you to clue our our uh, listeners, our listeners and viewers in to tell them who said this to you, when and and how it all came to be. Came to be right. It says, if you haven't figured it out by now, I'm seeing someone. I've been seeing her for a while now, and I plan to actively pursue her. Now, I don't want you to worry about anything but getting better. I'll file for divorce when you complete your treatment. She and I discussed it, and she said it was the right thing to do. So who's the speaker? Who's hearing this? Give us the context of that conversation right there. 
Okay, so I had chemotherapy. I was, uh, I'm a survivor of stage three breast cancer. I had already been stricken with type two diabetes about a year or so prior to this. Um, I'm literally at home from treatment, racked with pain, rocking back and forth in an oversized leather chair. If I'm painting that picture for you. Um, my, as I call him, husband comes in and tells me that if I hadn't figured it out, he was seeing another woman. He had been talking with her for months that I did not know. Uh, he had been at her Christmas party of her office, and he wanted to let me know that he had done that, and he said he felt so relieved that he had finally told me and that they discussed what should happen from that point forward with them moving on with their life and getting rid of me. And uh, it was just best. It was the Christian thing to do wow. is what she actually said wow. uh, to him to stay with me until I got on my feet and was able to perhaps receive disability or go back to work, whichever came first. And then they would be able to move on with their lives and I could move on with mine. So ex-husband, this is how he lets you know it's over in the midst of one of the midst of not just the storm. This is you are in the midst of fighting for your life. Literally. This is this is the timing that he figured was best to add to the complications of of everything that you were dealing with. So talk a little bit about because you said in the book that that led to not only you went from dealing with physical pain to now having to deal with emotional and psychological pain as you come into the terms with the fact that your 20 plus year marriage is coming to an end. What state of mind were you in at that point and how, how would you weigh the pain physically and then emotionally and psychologically as you were dealing with both at the same time? Well, it would be easy to talk about that one situation, but wait, there's more. Uh, oh. My employer decided that they no longer wanted me and told me that I needed to find other employment. However, I was not fired, but, but this was a heads up that you need to start looking. So wow. my supervisor said, let me look at your resume. And I'm going to redo it because the current resume you have has too much bling were her words in it. Wow. And I didn't understand what is bling in a resume. <laughs> well, you have so many attributes that you may actually have more than the person that you're interviewing for the job for. So mm. we need to dumb you down. So wow. now my supervisor is trying to get rid of me. My ex-husband at the time, husband, wanted to get rid of me. And as a result, he would not pay the mortgage. So I lost my health, my job, and my home. I became homeless for a time. I've got an older child in college and a younger child still at home with us in high school. I'm trying to give them normalcy while I'm dealing with all of this insanity. Wow. And quite honestly, I said to my pastor at the time, Jeff Forrest, I don't understand when my name changed from Renee to Job Etta. 
because <laughs> I'm losing everything. And the one thing that he said to me that helped to keep me steady is, you do know what happened to Joe at the end of the story. Right, right. And so, that's what to keep in mind. Uh, so, so, yeah, you literally lost everything. 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 Uh, and, and talk about a little bit. I, and sometimes we as adults make decisions and we don't consider everybody because you got two kids in the middle of all of this drama, one in high school, one who's literally physically have to uproot and his whole life changed because of that decision. So how did that affect the kids as you guys were going through of the mire and the murk of what was an ending marriage, uh, 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 basically losing your home. How did that affect the kids? And then how did you, as mom, as mama bear, protect them as, as best you could to, to try to keep that normalcy? Yeah, so it affected my oldest son. He separated because he was in Michigan in, in college. Mm -hmm. so, so his thing was, I have nothing to come home to. I have no reason to come home. There wow. is no home. Wow. So he disengaged that way. Mm -hmm. um, he actually sought counseling on campus. Mm -hmm. So he went and sought out his own counseling. Uh, mm -hmm. With his mother being a counselor, I'm a counselor by degree. Mm -hmm. He was also a psych major. So mm -hmm. he was able to wrap his own self up in the comfort of counseling and support on campus. Unfortunately, my youngest son, he was not that fortunate. He became very angry. Mm -hmm. uh, he was disregarding authority at school. He mm -hmm. would not talk to the counselors or teachers about his home situation. We mm -hmm. were getting countless calls about his misbehavior. And this is a kid that's an honor kid, honor roll student, who is captain of every sports team that he played in high school. Mm -hmm. Everyone looked up to him, very popular, big little man on campus at high school. And mm -hmm. now who went from A and B going to C and D and just even failing because wow. of everything that he was going through. The main thing that bothered him was the fact that his father kept coming in at 1 2 o'clock in the morning, mm -hmm. but could not take him to Bible study at 5.30 in the evening because he had someplace else to be. Wow. So my youngest son was trying to understand what is more important than me and mom. Mm -hmm. And his father eventually told him, well, your mother and I are spiritually divorced. God no longer recognizes our marriage because we no longer seem to be spiritually connected and agree <laughs> with one another. So therefore, I have a girlfriend, and it's okay. Only the law is recognizing the marriage because it's a legal document. My son said to his father, there is nowhere in the Bible where I saw that it is okay to have a girlfriend and a wife. That was the end of it, and he then started to seek help because the person he looked up to to get yeah. most of his advice from had mm -hmm. failed him and yeah. he, he promised sick and he's trying to at 17 understand what's going on take care of his mother and then also be in high school with those mm -hmm. pressures 
So I usually had to talk to the counseling staff, and once they understood what was going on, then he was able to get the support that he needed. Right. So at 17, that's junior, senior year, right? He, I mean, this is, this is a critical time. We know that it's really only critical in the mind of the kid, right? We know that it's not that critical. But in the mind of a kid, this is my senior year, man. I got things to do. I'm trying to, you know, and, and this is what he has to be faced with. And tell me again, what the heck is a spiritual divorce? What, what is that? <laughs> That's what was <laughs> spiritual divorce. What the heck is that? It's like God no longer recognized our marriage. Only man, only the law. So it was okay for him to do what he was doing. Wow. Wow. You can rationalize anything, I guess. So that's where you were. Now talk about how you picked yourself up from there, right? I know faith played a huge role. You have to lean on your spiritual counselors and the word of God, but talk about how and what was the process like to go, because you had to go up from there. Again, you lost everything. You had to go up from there with your health. You had to go up from there with your emotional well-being. You had to go up from there with getting gainfully employed and learning how to generate income again. And all of that kind of stuff, man. So talk about your journey up. Well, the one thing that helped me is because my family is very, very small. I've always built an extended family. So Mm -hmm. I've had friends and church members on the outside of my intimate family circle that I could rely on. But even in that moment of sickness, of losing the house, being homeless, and then going through a divorce, um, through resources, I found an attorney because I had nothing. I had no income whatsoever. My disability had been denied. So I'm totally relying upon uh, my spouse and his income of which he took from me and used that to dangle it. Because when I say domestic violence, people think that for the most part, you have to be hit in order to say that you are a victim. It's mental emotional, financial, as well as physical abuse. It's about power and control. Mm -hmm. And he controlled the purse strings in this instance. So he dangled that, if you do what I tell you to do, I'll get your medicine. If you do what I tell you to do, I'll pay that loan off that you was paying when you had a job. But if you keep messing with me, you won't get anything, and your little cell phone will be cut off. Those are the types of conversations that I had with him. So being in that environment, I knew I had to leave. So I had to make a choice to leave the home that was going to be foreclosed on and go somewhere, which I knew working in the women's shelters, being ill, that was not someplace that I could go because it would truly kill me. I would die. I mean, I I already knew it. And I decided... I reached out to some people. Some mm-hmm. folks invited me, then disinvited me. And then my friend, Dallas Jameson, who is my radio host uh, at Ferguson, he and I have been friends for nearly 30 years. So he's been with me practically through me getting married, having children, as well as I with him. He put me and my son at his house, mm-hmm. like immediately, gave me the key. And said, this is now your home. 
you stay here for, you know, as long as you feel you need to. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, Cortez, I had to decide to disengage from everyone because I was getting, girl, if that had been me, girl, I would do this. Do you know where she lived? Mm -hmm. Everything was like, go get that, you know, right. handle your business. Right. I'm taking my earrings off. Here we come. Where she at? You know, right. Right. And that was something that I didn't need because I didn't blame her. Yeah. She acted on what she was told. Mm -hmm. I blamed him because he knew what his role was and he knew the situation. Right. Now, right. I left the house. I went to Dallas's house. Dallas had a very nice, warm bedroom for me. And I told him, no, I wanted to go in the basement. And let me explain that. I had to disengage. I had to pull away from everything and get into the, the closest thing to the grave while mm -hmm. you are alive is a cold, dark basement. Right. Surrounded right. by concrete. Mm -hmm. And I had to go and get literally in the word. So I remember what my pastor said about Job. Mm -hmm. So I decided to go to the book of Job and I studied it. And I mean, I studied it. I didn't talk to people. I didn't want to be around anyone. I pulled away from my church. Some mm -hmm. of my church members tried to help me financially, which I appreciated that because I needed it. Some of them didn't know what to believe, you know, because we were a family at this church. All of us went to this church. We were active in ministry there. So it was difficult for people to even know how to choose sides. But right. I went into a still, quiet place. And I just told the Lord, I understood that this was my assignment. Right. I didn't know what he was trying to teach me. I did say that. But I never asked the Lord, why me? Mm -hmm. I just knew that he would be glorified in the end. Mm -hmm. I held on to that. And right. that equipped me to navigate through what I went through. But then I'm so vain, I did not want to look like what I was going through. So I kept it cute, honey. <laughs> I always had to be cute. So even when I went to treatment, uh, people were always talking about how I was smiling. It's that mask that Brandy talked about, how yeah. we are very good at putting up a front and putting yeah. on a mask. Because I know that people will pray on the weekend, not P-R-A-Y. P-R-E-Y. <laughs> so I had to make sure that I did not look weak. Right, and right. in the spirit, I was tired. I mm. was hurt. And I let the Lord know that I was tired and that I was hurt. But mm. I did not want to be bitter. Right. In that moment, when I finally got to where I could forgive and release that, I told mm. my ex-husband, I forgive you. Because... Mm. I cannot let your ills become my ills. Right. There's something going on in your mind. There's something going on in your heart. Someone hurt you when you were a child, and that has bled over into everything that you're doing. Mm -hmm. And I let him know, I have not turned your children against you. In fact, I told them, choose you over me if they had to make a choice, because you need the support. I'm good. Right. And that's right. only the peace that surpasses our understanding, Cortez. Mm -hmm. That yeah. is the peace that God instilled in me 
And when I was able to accept everything that this had nothing to do with me, mm-hmm. but with God using this opportunity to help someone, to help a bunch of women, he had already placed me in that work environment. Now right. I'm on right. the other side of the desk advocating for my own behalf. So I got a firsthand view at what this looks like to be alone or feel uh, a deserted and right. abandoned. And because I had the love that I felt for the Lord, I have a closer relationship. Mm-hmm. I came out better for it. Right. So, so let's 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 talk about you coming out better for it. Because if those of you who are not Christians and you don't really know about Job and Job's story. Job had everything taken from him. So much, and, and here's how quickly everything was taken from him. The scripture literally says that when one servant would come give him word that he was losing a family member, before that servant can finish talking, another servant was coming saying, hey, you lost your wife. Before he finished saying that, another servant said, hey, you lost your kid. Before he can finish talking, another servant said, hey, you just lost everything you own. So understand that losing everything, this woman has lost everything, but how is she on the other side? Stage three cancer, kick butt, healthy. Dr. Deloney just helped you go through another transformation very recently. Uh, Job, uh, 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 no income, that's cool. Uh, Phenomenal female entrepreneur, doing it all over the St. Louis city and all over the country. Uh, uh, pulling, uh, literally pulling resources and income out of the sky, right? When she before was depending on an employment employer to help her do all of that. And they still don't want to act right with that, right? So uh, did, did, did the health get restored? Uh, yes, and then some. Did the income get restored? Yes, and then some. Did the children get restored yes and then some because i know both aj and malik and what they're doing now phenomenal on a path to great things did the relationship get restored yes and yes my main man easy weathersby i think he was checking but i know that you are now in a place with a better relationship and you recently just got engaged right Yes, I did. And you know, with everything that I went through, I never punish another person for someone else's sin. You know what I'm saying? Because with everything that I've been through, and I had some jokers in between before my easy came, but I'm just saying I never allowed that to embitter me. Mm -hmm. I left whatever happened with that man with that man. Right, right. And I even told him, I prayed for you. I've turned you over to God. And I wish you nothing but the best. Mm-hmm. And and I meant that because he's been miserable. I don't know how long of his life before me. Right. But I know that I had to let that go and release him so I could move forward. Because he could no longer have the power over me mm-hmm. by doing that. So exactly. everything was restored, but I worked. I don't want, I'm not going to say it was easy. It's not. Mm-hmm. And, and did I want to get revenge? Oh, yes. Even before <laughs> right. I was there, 
I wanted to get revenge. And a lot of people don't know, but I had a moment where he was just sound asleep, just sleep in another room, knocked out. And I was standing up there and I had a weapon in my hand. I'm just going to say, y'all know I was former military, so we'll leave it at that. Right. And I heard a little voice tell me, he's not worth it. Wow. Wow. And that is, that is what I decided to do, was walk away, because you're right. My kids would not be with me. I would not be where I am. There would be so much messiness, and he's not worth it. So yeah. I turned around and walked away, and that was the day that I decided I had to leave that house. Right. So that's, right. that's when I left. But the main thing is the support system. If you don't have one within your family, find one outside of your family. Yeah. It may be a few friends that you know that you can trust your secrets to that's mm -hmm. not in the rumor mill, even in the church. I had to refrain from talking to some individuals in the church because of the relationship they had with the both of us. Right. Exactly. And that one tell that to him about what I was doing, I, I stay way under the radar. Right. So when I felt like, you know what, it's my time, I'm ready, my boys are good, my health is not as great as it could be, but better than almost at death door, because that's what the doctor says, she's dying. Right. And we don't know why. Mm -hmm. So once I came back from that, I told this story to Minister Raleigh Thornton Jr. And mm -hmm. he is the brain trust, the brain child of the book Pretty in His Presence. Yeah. So Pretty in His Presence is a compilation of stories from several different authors. Uh, I'm one of them, Janice Wilson. She did a tribute. Her tribute page is awesome. Uh, mm -hmm. We've got Penny Shoot Martin, who I'm friends with, and we've been talking. Her story is in there. So Pretty in His Presence is about things that should have killed us. Honestly, we should have died, but we were not uh, taken out of here because we were still pretty in his presence. Exactly. His presence meaning God the Almighty. And uh, that's what it meant for us. And to tell our stories on how we came out better is the reason why we put this book together. And Minister Thornton said that God spoke to him and said that th these stories was to help others and mm -hmm. to give them an, an idea about you're not in it alone, an idea about this is going to pass as well for you. And maybe something in our story would minister to them and help them to seek out the resources that they needed so that they could move forward. Powerful, powerful. Look, look, I just want you to, to, to make sure that I, I mentioned this. You're going to connect with Marty Casey. Ask me why. Marty and I are friends, so why am I connecting with Marty? <laughs> Your story needs to be turned into a stage play. Oh, my gosh. Are you so serious, Marty? <laughs> so, really quickly, I know, guys, we are beyond 8 o'clock. Every show this week will probably go up to about 8.10. So, tell everybody where and how they can reach you, how they can get their hands on Pretty and his presence, and uh, what you got going on. Uh, cause I know you always got. 
something going on. What's the going on? I know. Okay, so you can get me on Facebook at Lady Ray J Johnson. Uh, you can request a friendship. Also, I'm on Twitter at One Ray Johnson. Um, I'm also on Instagram at Johnson Ray J. Um, you can also email me at one Ray Johnson at gmail.com, and that's the number one. You can buy the book through Amazon, Create Space, and Barnes and Noble. Or better yet, you, you can get the book from me directly in the yeah, St. Louis area. Directly. Yeah. Uh, I ain't hating on nobody's hustle, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and but if we can keep all of that and not put a piece in their pocket, we're going to do that. So everybody who's uh, interested in getting the book, comment. Let me know if you're committed to getting this book uh, because this, this is her story is amazing. But there's some other amazing stories in there. So reach out to Ray J. Get the book from her. I have the link in my description to Amazon if you must go through Amazon. But otherwise, get in touch with Ray J and she'll ship your copy, autograph it for you and all that good stuff. Exactly. Exactly. One other thing that's coming up this month, I'm in a movie. Uh, The movie is called City's Biggest Heist. It will be showing at the Tivoli. We may have a couple of tickets. So whoever inboxed me first with the words pretty in his presence, you will get two tickets to come to the movie and see us on the red carpet May 25th in the Del Mar Loop at the Tivoli Theater if you're here locally in St. Louis. Awesome, awesome. So, Ray, you know it's always a pleasure when we hook up. Uh, I love everything that you're doing. I love that you are empowering women all over this country, and especially since you are empowering them to do what I love to teach on is be entrepreneurs, right? Turn your passions into profits. Take your stories and turn them into uh, something that will live forever and will pay you forever. Right? <laughs> I really, really appreciate you. Uh, tell them really quickly how they can hear you on the radio uh, and all that stuff as well. Okay, so if you go to Ferguson, USA, hottalkradio.com, Monday through Friday, you can hear me from 5 to 7 p.m. on Discussions with Dallas, live with Ray J. The Easy Treatment Lounge from 10 p.m. to midnight, Monday through Thursday. I produce that show as well. And every Sunday, Brown Sugar Sunday Jazz Show, 4 to 6 p.m., I produce that show as well. So we have three shows that I produce around town with Dallas and Ray J can be seen on YouTube under that name. And my new television show will be airing hopefully this month called The Other Side. You need a membership to Hulu, Roku, and Ministry on Demand, Apple TV, and it is my TV talk show. If you are interested in being on that show and featuring a product or service that you have, then you can email me at theothersidetalkshow at gmail.com. Awesome, awesome. So that's it for today's show, guys. The rest of this week, you're going to be hearing from some powerful authors who, who are, are really trying to help uh, our community heal, get better, grow through their written words, man. So I'm your main man, H. Cortez, the one and only financial health mentor to the black community. Until I talk to you guys next time, I want you to get your money up because you absolutely 
and feel like.